Herbert Baumeister is dead. His story ended on his own terms and the horrors of Fox Hollow Farms have ceased. Men aren't lining the side of the interstate or turning up decomposed in his backyard. While Baumeister can no longer continue his murder spree, the grave prevented him from facing any punishment from the law. There is no happy ending to this story. Too many families lost their loved ones. A family lost their father in more ways than one, and one man has been forced to live with the shadow of Herbert Baumeister on his back for the rest of his life. You have already heard about the lives of these people, and how just one deranged man changed everything for them, but in this episode, we step into a different realm. We know who Herbert was in his life, yes, but what was he in death? Before we say our last farewells to the Fox Hollow estate, we've come to know so well. I want to go into the story of the landowners that inherited the property, years after the suffering that had once happened there. I want to glance into the story of the family that purchased the land in which countless numbers of men were strangled to death, charred in the backyard, and deposited into the soil behind the home or littered into the gravel that the children of a serial killer played upon. But more than just a new family, I want to see if maybe, just maybe, Herbert wasn't done with his reign of terror, even in death. My name is Will Courtney, and welcome back to Fox Hollow. Despite the dark stain on Westfield's past, the Fox Hollow estate was a marvel of architecture on the outside. Despite all the hard work that Herbert had put into the estate, most famously the mannequins he would put on his poolside, the estate had begun to collapse following the absence of any legitimate owners of the establishment. That was until one family arrived, a family with the last name Graves. This family bought the shambling estate for a little under $2.6 million and quickly began to renovate the building in order for it to become a stable and luxurious home for their sons. While they knew about the rumors of the home, the details were never truly disclosed to them. They knew of Herbert Baumeister and the men that were murdered in the backyard, but past that, they didn't know too much. Putting in work every day, the house slowly transformed away from a rundown mansion and shifted into a beautiful estate, complete with a guest home, stable, and landscaping. However, beyond the tree line, something ominous hung around in the shadows. While the father of the family, Roger, worked in the backyard, his wife Vicky spotted what she thought was a man wandering on their property. While she didn't recognize him, the man wore a red shirt and had sunken eyes. Unfortunately for the graves, trespassers are not an uncommon occurrence. At this point, and sometimes still today, people wander onto the property suspecting that the burial ground of murdered men is now abandoned and discarded into the back of their local Hoosier history. However, when Vicky saw the man, something stirred her the wrong way, her memory recalling that this man appeared to have no legs, seeming to float all by himself. She calls for her husband, but by the time that he came to investigate, the figure vanished in front of her eyes. Robert looked around the property some more, but nothing. The figure seemed to have appeared out of thin air and within a few moments, vanished. As I've mentioned before, the establishment is located right off to the side of the Monon Trail, a popular trail that runs through the entire state of Indiana. It's possible that the figure was nothing more than a curious pedestrian, but Robert and Vicky insist that this man vanished from the property. However, even though the man had disappeared from the property, an ominous feeling still hung out between the trees. 
You see, this wasn't the first time the Greys experienced something seemingly unexplainable. In another story from the home, prior to the sighting of the man, Vicky had been vacuuming the pool room after her sons had tracked and gravel from outside, when the cord unplugged itself. She didn't mind it at first, plugging it back in until it was once again unplugged, this time being thrown across the room, Vicky staring right at the outlet as it happened. As the family eased into the move, a man at Robert's work was in need of a place to stay. Robert humbly invited his worker, named Joe LeBlanc, over and allowed him to live in his house for some time. After a long, hard day of moving in, Joe fell asleep, and it was on that night that he had a nightmare of him running from something in the forest behind the estate. Without understanding, he stood up out of bed, still sleeping, ran for the door, and banged his head on the doorframe. This wouldn't be Joe's last paranormal encounter at Fox Hollow, encounters which he has never experienced prior to or after his stay at the Fox Hollow Manor. At the end of his first week at his new home, Joe sat in his room eating dinner when a knock came at the door. He yells that he'll be there in a minute, but just as he says it, another knock. That in itself was just a little bit strange to Joe, but wouldn't someone be patient after his response? Or say something back? Not just knock again, and especially considering that Joe knows the people that live in the home. Joe shouts once more, the knock following his words to a beat once again. Fred, Joe's dog, perks up at the noise and growls in the distance of the door. Frustrated at the persistence of the noise, Joe stomps to the door and swings it open only to see nothing. Nobody in the doorframe, nobody around the house, and nobody down the stairs leading to his room. Nothing. The following day, Joe told the Graves of the strange scene he experienced, and Robert insisted that everybody was inside the house at that time. It was only a couple weeks later that Joe's terrors would encapsulate his memories of his stay. He was out one night, running along the trail behind the house with his dog. Fred was never leashed into the backyard, as he was trained to obey Joe's commands. Without notice, Fred stops and stares out into the forest, a growl emerging from his mouth. What's out there, boy? Fred asks his canine companion, only for his animal to go darting into the forest. Joe tries to follow behind the animal, but whatever it had seen, it felt that it was more important to disobey his master's commands. He loses his dog, and as he looks around the dark forest, his flashlight barely able to remain steady, Joe realizes exactly where he was. This was exactly what he experienced in his nightmare from the first day of Fox Hollow Farms, running in a dark forest from some unseen predator. Joe shines the flashlight around until it falls upon a figure in the forest. Standing only meters away from him was a young man in a red shirt, his gaze described as nothing more than a blank stare and floating without any legs. Joe shivers in fright as he turns the other direction and darts back towards his home, batting branches and brush to get back to any sort of semblance of society. Fred bounds up from one of the trees, running directly behind his master. They didn't stop running until they made it back to his home and had locked the door. The next day, Joe and Vicky compared the notes to each of their encounters. Their conclusion was that whatever they had seen, it was the same. Both didn't believe it was human, or at least, that it was human anymore. This all being said, whatever had been harassing Joe had yet to cease its activity. On another normal afternoon, Joe was in the refurbished and redecorated pool, playing with the Graves boys and a friend of his. 
Joe dives underneath the water and upon resurfacing, he moves to the side of the deck and rests on it. At that exact moment is when he felt a phantom vice grow around his neck, the feeling of fingers on each side of his chin in a sort of sensual manner. He turned around, expecting to discover who was playing this trick on him, but there was no one there. The Graves boys and Joe's friend was on the other side of the pool, oblivious to what was happening to Joe all by himself, the feeling of a man's hands around his neck. Joe pushes off the back of the deck and swims towards the others when the vice kicks in with a rage and momentum. Joe is dragged under the water, this time feeling the cold hands wrapped tightly around his neck, failing to let go. He tries to dig his fingernails into the invisible hands, but they were no use. He kicks, struggles, and gasps under the water until all of it stops. Joe swims to the top of the water, gasping for air and looking around to find something. Anything that would lead him to the feasible explanation of the two encounters, but nothing provided anything that could be seen as logical. He looks to the others, still in the pool, and like a man possessed, yells at them to get out of the pool. They all thought Joe was clowning around, pretending to drown or do something to scare them, but as Joe recited his story to the group, it became clear that Joe was in no mood to make any jokes. According to the book, which I've gathered all this evidence for today's episode from, Quote, to this day, Joe has never been frightened of anything in his entire life, end quote. And truly, who can blame him? Joe appears to have been a victim of a serial killer long since dead. Needless to say, Joe didn't feel compelled to swim in the pool any longer. Hey everybody, I want to take a brief minute to talk about sources, and how important sources are when dealing with any story. In the first season of Fox Hollow, my sources ranged and varied from college studies done by lead experts on the case to internet theories that may or may not hold any ground. The goal of last season was to tell the story that you can get if you invest a significant amount of time searching through the internet and open sources. However, as we discovered last season, there are many open holes in a very shut case. In the next season of Fox Hollow, we're going to go deeper into what hides behind the walls of the establishment and more importantly, understand the lives of the almost unknown victims. Anywho, I want to get back in today's episode. I just mentioned that everything in this episode is from one source. That source is a book published only last year, 2020. The title of this book is called The Horrors of Fox Hollow Farms. But what makes this specific book stick out to me? Well. For starters, it focuses heavily on the next homeowners of the establishment and understanding their lives. But more interestingly, understanding how their lives shifted due to living inside of a place with such horrifying history. This all being said, I'm a sucker for primary sources. I love understanding what people directly say and writing down their accounts instead of having a multitude of reporters making the true words of the individual get lost in translation. Lucky for me, one of the authors of The Horrors of Fox Hollow Farms was none other than the owner of the establishment himself, Robert Graves. The stories I have and will continue to tell you for the rest of this episode stem straightly from the words of the man whose friends and family experienced these haunts. Now back to the episode. It was yet another night for Joe LeBlanc. And no, a normal night was not encompassed by specters flying through his window. A normal night for Joe LeBlanc during his stay at Fox Hollow Farms was just sitting at his computer desk, TV on in the background, and his dog Fred at his side. Joe's desk was fairly close to the front door, so when a noise came from the door, it definitely caught his attention. However, 
The noise that he heard this night didn't come from the door. No. This sound was inside the room, only a few feet behind him, in fact. He turns and, looking at his kitchenette, hears a strange, scraping sound. He walks over towards the sound and upon entering the vicinity, discovers that his set of kitchen knives were taken out of the drawer and were laid out in a line inside of the sink. He looked around, but nobody was inside of his house. Yet someone, or something, opened the drawer and dumped all the knives into the sink. Joe turns again, now noticing a series of slashes carved into the wall. He wasn't sure if those marks had always been there or if they were new, but either way, Joe was unnerved to say the least. However, what Joe did next was certainly interesting. LeBlanc pulls out his phone, selects the voice memos, and taps the red button. It starts recording, and Joe begins to speak. Who is here? Joe shuts off his recording a few seconds later and rewinds it, listening to the entire thing. Who is here? The married one. The married one. If Joe LeBlanc heard a ghost, we need to think about who said this. As far as we know, which is not much unfortunately, Herbert Baumeister killed exclusively gay men. None of the men who were known to be killed were legally married, especially since gay marriage was against the law during this series of killings. So that really leaves only one other option. Apparently, Herbert wanted to say hello to yet another young man. Or at least, that's what we would think from the provided evidence. Is it at all possible that this isn't Herbert Baumeister? To question the legitimacy of the graves themselves, I go back into the book to understand how long they have owned the establishment. In the spring of 2006, the family purchased the home, meaning that as of time of recording, they have owned the house for over 15 years. Despite the events that have appeared to have happened to the graves, they appear to make very little profit off of the stories and events that have happened to their family. Doing some more research, it appears that someone ran an Instagram account for a short time promoting any features that they have experienced, such as being featured on Ghost Adventures or promoting their book. But I personally do not view this as an attempt to profit off of the events. The Graves have told their tale for 15 years and I have no reason to believe that this family has been deceiving the public. This is a private family that lives a private life in a not-so-private home and, to be blunt, a very forgettable town and a very forgettable state. I don't believe that the Graves are deceiving the public, but ultimately, that decision is up to you. So if these malicious harassments are neither the dead spirit of Herbert Baumeister or the ones inhabiting the home, who else could it be? Well, the only other theories tend to lead on the very supernatural side. According to the book, once again, a shaman once told Robert Graves of the existence of several Native American spirits that had been run off their land and are upset at the way the land has been treated since. Additionally, there are supposedly two inhuman entities that lurk in the shadows of the forest behind the home. According to the testimony given from the horrors of Fox Hollow Farms, one was an elemental, a form of nature spirit that also lurked in the woods outside and only came out after dark. The book goes on to say that Joe had encountered a strange, dark figure that was dashing from tree to tree when he was outside at night. Whether ghost, demon, poltergeist, tricks, or human imagination, nobody will ever truly know if anything exists within and surrounding the Fox Hollow Farms estate. But there is no doubt of one thing. A tremendous amount of pain, suffering, and deception occurred within those walls. While I feel like a broken record, 
We can't forget that so many men were viciously murdered because of one man's desires. However, miraculously, I feel as if this story has somewhat of a happy ending. According to Graves, the supernatural events of the home have begun to die out and, according to a medium in the book, the positive energy of the family will eventually eradicate the negative energy that has once encompassed the home. What do I think of all this? Well, I'm not sure entirely. I think, at the end of the day, the quote-unquote hauntings will be left up to the interpretation of whoever hears of the stories. Do I believe that an elemental forest spirit lurks in the background of the woods? Probably not. But who am I to say? I didn't see the things and all I had to rely on are words. An easily malleable piece of evidence. All I can hope is that despite all of the violence, a family can find peace within the walls of their home, and that, whether there is an afterlife or not, the men who met their fate at the establishment are at peace, whatever that peace may be. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the fifth episode of Fox Hollow. This show was entirely written, spoken, and edited by me, Will Courtney, and the script was edited by Kayla Garrity. The art of today's episode was created by Jeanette Hommel, and the cover of the title was created by Ethan Manichini. A special thank you goes out to Dominic James. Mr. James is my radio teacher and has taught me everything I have ever needed to learn about professionalism, ethics, morals, and storytelling when it all comes to journalism. Without my instructions from Mr. James, this podcast would never, ever have been possible. So thank you, Mr. James. If you do not already know, Fox Hollow Season 2 will be coming out very shortly this summer. Make sure you stay tuned to this channel for an announcement coming out very soon within the next few weeks. If you're looking for more podcasts to listen to, please, please, please visit whje.com, where you can listen to all the many different student-made podcasts at Carmel High School. As always, please take care, and I'll see you soon.